Pastor Chris's podcast. This message series was spurred on by a question my daughter had about why we don't talk about creation. Why don't we talk about taking care of the environment more as a church? And isn't it interesting? I was just thinking about all through this service, all of these different songs that have been picked out from the Christian tradition over the centuries and how they talk about creation. And, and ending with this, this last one we just sang a, a few moments ago that goes all the way back to 1225 to St. Francis of Assisi and these words talking about uh, God's creation. So it is certainly part of our tradition as Christians. Um, it's just that maybe sometimes we have forgotten about it or we have not taken notice of it. Have you sung so many of these songs before? And not thought about the theology that was there, about how we as Christians are called to be good stewards of God's green earth. That's what I talked about last week, how God created the green earth, how we are supposed to care for it as good stewards. The earth is the Lord's and all that is within it. And we may make use of it in our need, but we may not abuse it in our greed. And in order to be good stewards and take care of the environment, You have to go back to the very core of the problem. You have to get our heart right with God. You have to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus as Lord so that he can restore you to a relationship with God. Then and only then will you recognize that the earth and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. And you begin to treat the earth with the same care that God treats it. And you begin to desire for the earth, what God desires for, because God cherishes the creation that he made. Last week, we talked about mostly about the overview of the earth and the land. We didn't talk much about animals, and that's what I want to concentrate on today. What about the animals? The title of the message is, He Saves the Animals Too. The title is inspired by the story of Noah. You know the story. You've probably heard it. Even if you've never come to church, you've probably heard about the story of Noah or you've seen cartoon characters. We even make wallpaper with the, the, the pictures of Noah's Ark and we put them in the nurseries where we, we put our babies. But the story of Noah. Have you ever thought about why God saved the animals? Why did he have Noah take the animals on the ark two by two? The story comes from the sixth chapter of Genesis, and I'll read a, a small portion of that for you today. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17 through 19. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter into the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. And that's a, a brief, brief summary of the Noah story. Have you ever thought about why God saved the animals? I mean, if they're not really important, as some people think, why didn't God go, why did God go through the trouble of gathering all the animals into the ark? I mean, think about the how difficult it would be to gather animals from all over the world and, and get them into a boat. They are important to God. Animals are important to God. All of creation is important to God. Now, all of creation suffers, but it's not because the animals sinned or because creation sinned. Why do all 
Why does all creation suffer? It's because of humanity's sinfulness. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought the curse on all creation, including the animals. The way God created the world reveals a kind of hierarchy in the system. God created a, a light, and then water, and then sky, and then land. And if, you, if you're following this, you'll see that there's increasing complexity in God's creation. So he, he creates light, and then water, and then sky, and then land, and then plants, and then fish, and then birds, and then land animals. And then the last thing in the story that he creates is the most complex, the most sentient of all beings, people. So we see in this a general hierarchy of sentience. That's a fancy word, sentience. It means the capacity to think, to feel, to perceive. And so fish, birds, land animals, people. We see this capacity increasing. Plants are the least sentient. In other words, they're least able to think and feel and perceive, except maybe at the most very basic levels. And then there's fish and bird and land animals followed by people who are the most capable animals of all to think and to feel and to reflect. And so people were created to govern everything that God had created, to be faithful stewards who watched over it all because we are the most capable of doing that. But then... Humans rebelled against God, and sin entered the world, and the curse of sin invaded humanity. And even though creation had not sinned, they were under the authority of people, and therefore all creation suffers alongside humanity. And so God in His mercy saves the animals along with Noah, and He will save the animals along with all creation in the end too. Listen to what it says in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 21. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So we see that it's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. And so far we've established two points. Let me review them. Number one, God saved the animals in the Old Testament in the Noah story. And number two, in the New Testament, we see that God will save all creation, which includes animals. Creation, it says in Romans chapter 8, creation will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Animals have always been and will always be part of of God's great salvation plan. Salvation is not just for people. It's for all creation. God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And this might seem sort of odd because if you're like me, you may have grown up hearing that animals don't have souls or animals don't go to heaven. Only people have souls. And this is what I was taught growing up. But the more I read Scripture, the more I see what it actually says, and 
It teaches something more complex than that. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says. Proverbs 10, uh, Proverbs 12, verse 10. A righteous man has regard for the life of his animals, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. Now, right there on the surface, you have a great principle that we all should take to our hearts and try to live out. Right on the surface, it, it says that, that, you, that a righteous man has regard for his animals. In other words, if you're a, a good person, if you're a person who lives the right way and does the right thing, you ought to have compassion on the animals that are under your care. And some people say, well, they're just animals. Yeah, but they, they matter. They have feelings. And God expects you to be compassionate and not cruel to them to take care of. So right on the surface, you can get that principle. But there's a principle that's even deeper embedded in this scripture that I don't want you to miss. And in order to understand that, you have to understand the Hebrew language a little bit. A righteous man has regard for the life of his animals. The word that they use is a Hebrew word, nepis. The Hebrew word nepis means soul. And so it's saying, in other words, a righteous man cares about his animal's soul. Now, does that mean we need to all start bringing our dogs and cats to church on Sunday so we can care for their soul? <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, let's do it. That's, that's not what it means. But it means that we recognize that an animal is a living thing with a soul, just like you and me. Because in the past, we've sort of, sort of tried to segregate things and say, well, people have souls and animals are just animals, but that's not, what scripture, that's not the way Scripture regards them. When they speak of a living animal, they speak of it as having a soul, and we must treat them with the respect and the dig dignity of a living, soul-filled being, nepes, or soul, is what Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, God breathed in Adam. You remember the Genesis story? It says God created Adam from the dust of the earth, and then he breathed his life into him. The word that they use is the same word that Proverbs uses, nepes, soul. God breathed his nepes into Adam, and that nepes is also in animals. It is the same word that God used to describe insects and fish and birds and cows and dogs and cats in the creation story. It is the same word the Bible uses throughout the Old Testament to refer to the souls of people and to animals who are alive because the divinely imparted soul of God was put in them. Or the divinely, a divinely imparted soul was put in them. It is the sole word that is used to describe animals when God put a rainbow in the sky and made a covenant with Noah as they came off of the boat. And God made a covenant with Noah and who else? All living creatures. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, it says, God said, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, every living creature on earth. We usually think of God making a covenant with people. But God made a covenant with all creation, including the animals. 
Nepus is the same word God uses to describe the lifeblood that pumps through all living creatures. The lifeblood, the soul, which people are forbidden to eat. Genesis chapter 9 verse 4 says, you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. In other words, don't eat animals while they're still alive. That's, I mean, that's what it's saying. Don't eat them while they're still alive. Their soul is still there. And now that would be cruel, right? We see, um, what is it? The wild kingdom and the lion is chasing the antelope. Animal doesn't know any better. The lion doesn't know any better. And he captures that antelope. And he doesn't wait until the antelope is dead, right? He begins chowing down right away. And we're all cringing because we're thinking, how awful is it to eat an animal while it's still alive? You know that sometimes people used to do that? And God is saying, don't do that. Not only is it cruel, it's evil. It, it's like eating the animal's soul. And God forbids it. He forbids it so strongly that it's actually a capital punishment if you do it. If anyone eats an animal that is still alive or drinks its blood, that person must be put to death, God says. God says people must first end an animal's life by letting their lifeblood cease to flow. God says we can still eat animals. We don't have to be vegetarians. An animal's soul departs when their lifeblood ceases to flow. And so God gives us permission to eat animals when they are properly slaughtered. So all that's to say, yes, the Bible says animals do have souls. And animal souls are sacred. They are not to be toyed with. They are not to be mistreated. They are just as sacred as the soul. They are, just, they are sacred just as the soul within you and I are. And I don't understand uh, everything about how that all works and how animal souls works, but I do understand this. Animals have souls. Animal souls are sacred to God. And God's plan of salvation includes animals. And we know that animals will be among us in the afterlife. The Bible gives a vision of animals in eternity. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 and 7. Have you heard this one before? In that day, and it's talking about in eternity. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together and the leopard will lie down with the baby goat and a calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and a little child will lead them on. The cow will graze near the bear, and the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat, eat hay like a cow. What a beautiful vision Isaiah gives of the harmony of creation in eternity. And I don't even understand how that works. How does a, a lion eat hay? I don't know. But I think it's a beautiful image to think of a leopard lying down with a baby goat. And in Revelation, in the New Testament, Revelation 19.11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and Righteous. He judges and makes war. And this is a vision of the Lord Jesus at the end. And who, on whom is He sitting? I saw heavens opened, and behold, a white horse. 
In Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And we have a vision in creation and eternity of all creatures, including creatures on the earth and creatures in the sea, praising God. Well, that's really great preacher and that's really out there. But what does that mean for me? Quite simply, it means treat animals as sacred, soul filled, living creatures loved by God because that's what they are. They are not disposable commodities that can be thrown away like trash. There isn't hierarchy in the animal kingdom. You know, an insect is not the same as a bird. And a bird is not the same as a dog or a cat. And it's okay to eat meat. God gives us permission in Scripture. But we should never disregard or disrespect or take for granted the life of any animal. Especially the life of an animal that we consume as food. You know, in our modern world, we have lost touch with the sacredness of the food that we eat. I'm a hunter, so uh, I kill animals. I mean, but I don't do it willy-nilly. I went uh, a few years ago, I was on a turkey hunt. And I, um, I, was, I had given up, I tried calling and done all that stuff and hadn't seen any turkeys. So I was just kind of walking around enjoying the outdoors in springtime. Turkey hunting happens in spring, so it's usually really pretty, and I love that. I don't like to be cold, but I love the springtime. Anyway, I hear some crows cawing. And there was just something about it. I was like, why are, why are those crows cawing like that? And so I just had a feeling, and I got my gun ready to shoot, and I sort of edged around a grove of trees so that I could see into the clearing beyond it, and sure enough, there's a whole bunch of turkeys out in the field. And I just snuck up on them. And I looked down there and picked the one I wanted, and boom, I shot them. And, you know, that bird was down, all the other ones were running off into the woods, and the one that I shot was there flopping, flapping on the ground in, as it's coming to the end of its life. And its death flows. And I walked up on the turkey because I want to make sure it didn't run off. And I walk up and I stand over the turkey as it's flopping around and its lifeblood is beginning to cease. Its soul is departing from the living creature. And some people say, oh, that's, that's so cruel. How could you do that? How could you do that? But to me, it was one of the most sacred moments I've experienced to be with a living creature as its body, as its soul departs from its body. And you know, later I dressed that turkey and we ate that turkey and it was a sacred thing to know that I had taken the life of that animal to consume as food. And people say, oh, that's so cruel. How could you do that? That's exactly what you do when you eat turkey for Thanksgiving. But you have removed yourself from the sacredness of an animal 
whose life was sacrificed to provide nourishment for you and your family. Do you think about that when you go to McDonald's and you order your Big Mac? Or you go to Chick-fil-A, you know, God's place, and you get that Chick-fil-A sandwich. Something, if you're eating meat, even if you're eating a turnip, something died to provide food for you. And we should not disregard that. We should recognize it as a sacred thing. But in order to make things right, in order to take care of the world, in order to care for the animals that are in it, we've got to go down deep to the core of the problem that's in the human heart. You see, we think that it's all about us. We think we're the center of the universe and everything was put here for us to use or abuse however we want. We've got to turn away from our sinful, selfish thinking and turn back to God through Jesus Christ. We must recognize that Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, then we recognize that our biblical mandate is to be good stewards of his creation. Creation is sacred to God. He loves the land. He loves the animals. And our Lord has commanded us to be good stewards of it. It's not optional. It's the Lord's command. Are you ready to obey? Is Jesus really your Lord?